So last week, um, we had our guest speaker. His name was Francis Chan, and he was a YouTube video. It was a very powerful YouTube video. And I'd seen it, um, I think, three times before then. And it, it was powerful the fourth time that I watched it with you, but not so powerful to make me cry. And I'm sitting in the chair. I was just going to come up. I had a couple of short comments, and I was going to ha- tell you have a nice week. And I came totally unglued, right? I mean, if you were here, I was pretty substantially uncorked. And I haven't had that happen. I mean, it used to happen fairly regularly. It hasn't happened so much in the last couple of years. The reason I say that is that I believe it was the Lord. The minute I got up out of the chair and took maybe a step and a half, I just got slammed. I, I just was overwhelmed. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. The crying pastor again. But it, I, want, I want you to know that that wasn't me. I didn't have like a plan, like this really has to take effect. So I'm going to get up there and cry like a little baby and, and sniffle and stuff so that people will really think this is important. God wanted you to know that what you heard last week was really important. And one of the ways he tried to impress it upon us was by messing me over. Right? I mean, was it Isaiah that had to run around naked, one of the prophets in the Old Testament? You know, I mean, I'm glad that I cry. If it's, that's my choice, I'd just as soon cry. He wants us to understand that that message, these messages, all of his word, we have to be reading his Bible, man. We have to be seeing what he's saying to us in the word because the winds of deception are so powerful in our culture right now that it's easy to get off track if we're not constantly in the word. I think about the ladies' Bible study or the men's Bible study that we're doing during the week and and, Man, we should be doing more of them. And how it just it keeps us locked in. It just keeps us locked in to God's word because it's powerful and it's um, influential. And, and it's feeding us day by day, week by week, it's feeding us. So anyway, I just wanted to make sure that, that the importance of what God is saying in his truth, that we don't blow past it and, and think, no, it's okay, you know, I'll, I'll get to being like, like Jesus says next week, because his grace is sufficient. His grace is to be able to be like he wants us to be right now in our process. Not, not that he won't give grace. I keep thinking about the parable of the, the, the fruit tree. I think it's a fig tree with no figs on it. And, and the guy who would represent God and the tree who would represent us, he goes to the garden of his or the... What do you call it uh, when you have trees? Like, what's an apple orchard? Thank you. He goes to the orchard. He's got this one sorry tree that doesn't produce any fruit. And he says, you know what? Why should I even let that tree take up space in my garden? Dig that thing up and get it out of here. And the gardener, bless his heart, the gardener says, hang on a minute. You know, I'm going to put a little fertilizer on there, and I'm going to work with it. Let's give it one more year. And if it doesn't produce fruit in one more year, then I'll dig it up and we'll pitch it. So there's some amount of grace that God seems to give for fruitlessness for a little season, but it's not forever, right? I mean, the guy who I would believe is God in that parable was ready to chuck that tree right now. We shouldn't be deceived that we can't be that tree, amen? Okay, so just a quick review. I took all of the, but one, all of the scriptures out of the review because I would have preached those messages again and again. The the primary um, scripture that I've been speaking from is the parable of the seed in the soil. And we've been seeing messages like, be prepared from when Mike passed away and Joe passed away, that, that the Bible teaches us that Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready when he comes back. 
And when he comes, if we're not ready, we're not going with him. But there were three aspects to that being ready. The first was Jesus is going to come back. That's a specific um, teaching in the scriptures. But there's a second aspect, right? Mike didn't figure that he was going to pass away. He, he had no sense. He wasn't aware, but he was ready. So we prepare ourselves not only because that Jesus might come back right in this moment and we want to be ready, but we prepare ourselves because we might go to be with him. Our time might come and we want to be ready. And then the third one was a little different, but it was, it was relevant, is that we never know when somebody else is going to go away. And we don't want to have regrets that we hadn't been in a right relationship and then they got taken away, their time was up, and we don't have an opportunity to fix that. So because Jesus is coming, we need to be ready. Because we don't know when we're going, we need to be ready. And we need to be in right relationship with everybody. We need to humble ourselves, be in front of all of the kind of things that can cause us to be separated because we never know when somebody that's really dear to us isn't going to be there for us anymore and we don't want to have any regrets. So, so scriptures like that, scriptures like... Um, the parable of the seed and the soil that really speaks to fruitfulness, right? The, the, the seed is the word of God. The sower is God himself and the soil is us, our hearts. And, and he's sowing, constantly sowing his word into us. It might be the word of the gospel unto our salvation or it might be the word of revelation unto us being more and more like Jesus, um, accomplishing those things that he has for us to do. But he's bringing to us this word and he's sowing it into our hearts and the soils represent how we receive it. And the only soil that produces any fruit is the good soil that cherishes that word. All the other soils are fruitless. And we're going to see, well, we saw last week, the week before Francis Chan, that if there's no fruit in our lives as Christians, grace doesn't get us to heaven. It's an indication that we've either lost faith or we never had faith. But Jesus says those branches in me that produce no fruit, the Father cuts them off and throws them in the fire. That parable talked about being careful how you listen, and to him who has, more will be given, but to to him who doesn't, even what he has will be taken away. It talked about us being the light of the world. It says that that a light isn't lit, isn't illuminated, and then put under a basket, that when God gives us something, it's to radiate from us. But to him who doesn't, who has no response to the revelation he's given, even what he has is taken away. The parable of the talents was another one that we looked at. So God shows us this, this picture of his relationship with his church. And it's, it's in the picture of three different servants. And, and the master, in, in this case, God would be the master, is going to go away. But he wants to find a return when he comes back. So he gives gifts, talents, um, something of himself for those people to invest so that when he comes back they have something to return to him beyond just what he gave them. And, and two of them did. The guy who had five returned five. The guy who had two returned two. Both of them got the same response from the father. The five guy didn't get a two and a half times better response than the two guy because they both returned relative to what they were given. But the guy who got one talent, he was afraid. He was concerned. He knew what kind of man the master was. So he buried that thing in the ground and felt good about himself because at least he had to give back to the master what the master had given him, but he had no return on that. The master wasn't at all moved with that. He, he didn't say, well, whew, you know, if you'd have lost it, I'd have been really upset. At least you gave me back what you started with. He said, no, you wicked and lazy slave. And he sent him out to the place of uh, darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth because he didn't return anything. There was no fruitfulness in what he was given or from what he was given back on then to the master. 
There's no question that fruitfulness is required of us. There are a number of scriptures in the New Testament that start off with do not be deceived. And if you look at those scriptures and then you see them with an eye towards our culture, you can see the deception. This hyper grace message. That, no, 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 you don't understand. God loves me. Uh, I, I had a personal experience with one, uh, a man uh, living as though married to a woman, going to church every Sunday. Elders of the church called him and said, hey, listen, you're in sin. You, you really need to get married or cut it out. No, no, you don't understand. See, there's some financial reasons why we're doing this, but, but we prayed and God gave us permission to have a, a fornicationist, I don't know what that word is, but relationship because he understands our situation. Do not be deceived, the word would say. If they had actually heard from God, instead of hearing from their own fleshly desires, they would have ceased. Or they would have heard from God, and maybe they would have still been in that stupor, in that place of hardened heart where they would have rationalized how it's going to be okay later. But you never know when you're going to go, and you never know when Jesus is going to come. And if you're in willful disobedience, when either of those times comes, you're not in a good place. Don't be deceived. I'm telling you, don't be deceived. You cannot. That's what Francis Chan said last week. He said, I don't know how you can reconcile the general atmosphere, faith, believing of the Western church and the scriptures. You can't reconcile them together. It's just not okay to be... Okay, pretend like I'm not going to use a three-letter, four-letter word. You can't be half-assed with the Lord. It's, it's not his program at all. It can't be our program. And if we think it's okay, we're deceived. All right, so then where we're at today is um, John 15, 1 and 2 from two Sundays ago because Francis Chan jumped in the middle. Jesus, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So he's not speaking in this um, metaphor to unsaved people. He's speaking to saved people. He's speaking to people like us. He's telling us what it will be like to be in him. See, all the branches he's referencing are in him. Right? The Bible says you're either in Christ Jesus or you're in Adam. There's no in, <laughs> there's no in between. If we had a drummer. <laughs> I thought that was cute. You guys got no sense of humor. Okay, I forgive you. You might have to forgive me for actually not having a sense of humor. You're not in between. There is no okay place that's not in Jesus. You're either in Jesus or you're found in Adam. If you're found when you pass out of this life in Adam, you don't going to find yourself in heaven for eternity. So Jesus is talking about these branches in the metaphor that are in him. So they're, they're actually people that have gotten connected through the truth into Jesus Christ. But they don't all stay there. The difference between the two classes of branches is just producing fruit. The branches that produce fruit, the vine dresser, the father, comes and he prunes them back. And he takes those things that are, that are not fruit producing and he gets them out of there. That's the process of being sanctified. That's going from glory to glory. That's the refining fires of God making us into his son, the likeness of his son. But these branches that just plain don't produce fruit, they don't work with those branches. There seems to be a little season, right? The tree that produces no fruit, give it one year. There may be a season, but if you find yourself in a place where you're not seeing the fruit of the kingdom of heaven manifesting in your life, you really need to be concerned. 
And it may be that you're just not saved, which is cool. You can make a decision and get saved, or you can keep your life for yourself. But you may be one of these branches that's in Christ, yet not producing fruit, waiting for the Father to sever you from the Lord. And heaven forbid we don't want that. Okay. So I thought today we would just talk a little bit about what is fruit and then how is it that fruit is actually produced. And it's a weird kind of a circular thing that goes on here. Um, If you were to just decide, if you were to take a look at yourself, for for example, look in the mirror, you know, that could reveal whether there's fruitfulness in your life in the Lord and you don't see any, you, you know, if you're, if you're conscious, you'd be very concerned about that. And your, your initial impression would be, I need to go do some stuff because there's no fruit in my walk with the Lord. But the issue is less that you're not producing fruit and more likely that you don't have a relationship with the Lord such that your, the fruit would be the fruit of that relationship. The, you didn't get saved by doing good works. But if you're not doing good works, you're likely not saved. And it's, it's a weird... Remember I talked a couple of weeks ago about the tension between by, you're saved by f- f- grace through faith, not by anything that you've done yourself so that no one would boast. But if you have no works, your faith is dead. It's like there's a tension in there that has to be resolved. And, and the resolution of the tension is, if you're saved, you will produce fruit. Okay, so what does fruit look like? How do we get fruit? That's the other side of that... That circular thing is, wait a minute, if it's all about me abiding in Jesus, for example, then fruitfulness will just come, but there's always the process of decision that happens in our walk with the Lord. So, so it's us and it's the Lord that causes fruit to be produced. All right, so just some examples. What does fruit look like? Um, the first one that I chose today is the fruit of your lips, the fruit of your words. Matthew twelve thirty three through 37 Give us a perspective on fruit. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it. In the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There's that tension again. No, no, I'm justified by grace through faith. How can I be justified by my words? Because the fruit of your lips is, is a reflection of your heart. And, and your heart is either turned towards Jesus or it's not turned towards Jesus. So it's not speaking your way into heaven as much as it is recognizing your position with the Lord based upon what comes from your lips. And, and there are some folks that struggle, especially with anger. They have to be so careful with the fruit of their lips being just horrible because the emotion of anger will bring out the worst thing from the tongue. Just some quick uh, shorter verses on, on this. Ephesians 4.29 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. So it's it's an instruction on how to speak. If you follow the instruction, what will flow from your lips will be edification and bring grace, and that is fruit. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Hebrews 13, 15. 
Through him, him being Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks in his name. So when our lips are praising the Lord and when our lips are speaking words of thanksgiving and gratitude, that is fruitfulness. And, and you probably cannot speak those kind of words from an evil heart. It would be an indication, uh, sincere thanksgiving, sincere praise to God would be an indication that your heart actually has turned towards him and Holy Spirit is inside there. And then the, the, probably the most famous one is Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Literally, in the economy that God has ordained for this planet and for man and women, for people, for mankind, there's power, literal the power of death and life, blessing and curse in our words. And for men, fathers especially, you have to be so conscious of the power that's in your tongue over your wife and over your children. That when, when a man speaks death over his child, and I promise you, if you could see into men's hearts, children as they grow up and, and they struggle, you'll hear it, it's, it's not a cute phrase, but it's daddy problems. What's the matter? Why is their life so screwed up? It's daddy issues because they were cursed by their father. All through their childhood, you're stupid, you're never going to amount to anything, uh, you, you know, blah, 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 death, 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 death. And they carry that junk right through their whole lives versus the father who understands that it's his job in the Lord to develop the identity of his children and to tell them who they are and who they are in the Lord and that they're fearfully and wonderfully made and to build them up into a person who doesn't carry all of that horrible, broken identity junk through their whole life. It, it wrecks relationships. It's just terrible. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Okay, the second fruit that we would look at today would be the fruit of repentance. Now, this is John the Baptist speaking. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. And it turns out John the Baptist was not like your warm and fuzzy guy. I don't, I don't know that I can ever recall in Scripture where John the Baptist was saying anything like, hey, you look like you're losing weight or... Boy, your hair looks nice today. I mean, he was an in-your-face kind of guy. So starting in verse 7. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Could you imagine what a rebuke that would be to a Jewish, a proud Jewish person? Don't call yourself a son of Abraham. He's just as likely to make one of those rocks a son of Abraham before you'll ever be a son of Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds are questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. All of those instructions, those examples that would be fruit in keeping with repentance boil down to character. If it's not yours, don't take it. Walk in 
the integrity of godly character. He, he talked about um, sharing with people when they're hungry or sharing with people when you have clothes but they don't have any clothes that you should just, you should just give them some of yours. If you have two and he has none, give him one of yours. E- even Jesus says, listen, if somebody steals your coat, give him your shirt too. Now you've got no coat and no shirt, but he's got a coat and a shirt, and now he might come to repentance. And you trust in the Lord that if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, he's going to find you a coat and a shirt. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 13 says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing with those, or excuse me, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So when, when we take and share what we have with others, when we demonstrate humble generous character, it's pleasing to God. And that is fruitfulness in the kingdom. The third one, then, that we would just look at today is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is Galatians five twenty-two and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these such things there is no law. And really... I mean, I don't know what else you would sum up as fruitful. If you, if you were to take each one of those words that are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's like it's the fruit of his presence inside of us is love. And if you took love and blew it up biblically to see what it means, it's a huge covering. It covers so many things other than just an emotional feeling that we might have towards another person. It's, it's a response of sacrifice towards any need that any person would have that we would love them. That's how love operates, sacrificially. Joy, uh, peace, patience, kindness, all these characteristics are the fruit of the tree of the person who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He can be suppressed, but he doesn't have to be suppressed. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. We think of that often in terms of gifts, But quenching the Holy Spirit very much could be that his fruit is not flowing from our souls. If you remember when we talk about the the spiritual warfare, in in its most basic essence is the battle between good, God, and evil, Satan, for the fruit of our souls, of our mind, our will, and our emotions. And God, who influences our souls by his spirit connected to our spirit, and the enemy, who tries to influence the fruit of our souls by his evil spirits connected through our flesh to bring about bad fruit from our souls, our minds, our wills, and our emotion, our will and our emotions. So the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit in keeping with repentance, and the fruit of our lips are three examples that, that quite frankly, probably cover everything we would need to know about fruitfulness. That's what fruit looks like. Now, how is it that we become fruitful? Um, most of you are familiar with Heidi Baker. Teresa and I spent the summer, gosh, it's a long time ago now, but it seems like yesterday, in Africa with um, Heidi Baker at one of her bases, her and her husband, Roland Iris Ministries. And one of the things Heidi taught over and over again, that all fruitfulness flows from intimacy. That if you have, no, if you have not intimacy with God, you will have not in, uh, fruitfulness in your walk. That fruitfulness comes from intimacy with the Lord. And you'll see that in these different scriptures that I'll read to you. Mark uh, chapter 4 and verse 20. And this is the, the, from the parable of the, the seeds and the soil that we talked about earlier. And those are the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. 
an indication of good soil is that it receives the word of God and it accepts it. It acts upon it. it, it it's changed by it. it it's, it's fruitful, 30, 60, and 100-fold. Mark 4, 24, and 25, a little bit further in that same parable. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. Jesus continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Consider carefully what you hear. The word of God, the revelation that comes from the seed that's been sown into the soil of your heart. With the measure you use, the measure you apply, the measure that you actually do something with, it will be measured back to you. But if you take what you've heard and you don't hear it in such a way to use it, then even what you have, think of it as the seed, not the response, because you didn't do anything. That can't be taken away. But the seed of revelation itself is taken away from you. Consider how you hear. For the way that you use what you hear will be measured back to you. If you wonder, where's, where's revelation? Maybe it's because you weren't faithful with a little. He's not going to give you more. He's waiting for us to be faithful with the little he's given us so that he will feel good to give us more. If we were to continue to read on there, it talks about a lamp isn't lit to be put under a basket. If he lights a lamp, if he gives us a revelation and it brings light to us, it's to be shown out to the world, out to each other. But if we cover it up, light goes out. No more light coming. That's literally what he's saying. And in Matthew 7.24, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's awesome if you ever study the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, kind of broken up a little bit in Luke, but 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. If you study the Sermon on the Mount, go to chapter 7 and read the end of the sermon before you read the beginning of the sermon. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, these Sermon on the Mount words of mine, and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And he goes on and he talks about the one who hears but doesn't act. It's like the man who built his house on the sand. So he's saying here, hear the word and accept it. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Everyone who hears my words and acts on them is the person whose house was built on the rock. His word is revelation and it's truth, but it's not just to be heard. It's to be responded to. It's like the gospel. You can share the gospel with somebody that doesn't make them saved because they heard it. It makes them saved because they responded to it by faith and confession. So then the question for us is, are we hearing the word? How are we hearing the word? See, if if you're primary exposure to the word of God, the revelation that God would place on your heart through his word is a sermon you're lacking. It has to be more than a sermon if you're going to actually flourish and bear fruit in God's kingdom. How often are you hearing the word? What's the outcome of your hearing? What's the outcome of our hearing? When we hear the word, what's the outcome? What what changes? What moves because we heard the word? Or does anything at all move? Ultimately, the hearing of the word, that seed into the soil of our hearts should, I, 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 don't know what, I don't know what the timeline looks like, but we should be dramatically different in our person and in our behavior after having heard the word of God. 
That's why the that's why the Francis Chan sermon and these these messages. If you he talked about Luke chapter fourteen and and Jesus is like, listen, you know, unless you hate your parents and, and you know, if you're one of these guys that wants to build a tower but you don't rather realize whether you can finish it or not, he's saying count the cost. Don't even get started down the path of disciple if you don't have the purpose in your heart to walk the whole way. And then he closes that whole thing with, listen, unless you renounce everything that you own, you can't be my disciple. That's the way Jesus speaks. But that's not the way the culture is hearing him. They're not hearing him that way. The second way that fruit is manifested in our lives is walking by or walking with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, where we see the list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, that, that whole list, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, if we gain our life, if we're born again, if we've gained our life by the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead has made us a new creature in Christ. We're alive now, not dead, not in Adam, but alive in Christ Jesus. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The, the walk by the Spirit is a submissive walk like a dog on a leash. That's the way walking with the Spirit is. It's like a dog on a leash. When, well, not so much with Gretch, but well, maybe a lot with Gretch, right? Because he's a baby Christian in my picture. Teresa wants to walk down the street. Gretch wants to go anywhere but down the street, right? He runs off that way. Forgive me if you're a dog lover. You jerk him back onto the path, right? We walk a little bit off the path, off the straight and narrow. You gently pull him right. That's why I don't take Gretch for a walk. He's little. You snap him right across the road. The point is, for us, the leash isn't you know, a tether around our neck. It's our will submitted to God. There is no tether. It's your choice whether or not you'll walk with the Spirit or you won't walk with the Spirit. So when he tugs on the leash, when he gives you that little unction in your mind, when, when Jesus says, listen, narrow is the way that leads to life and wide is the way that leads to destruction, and we're taking a step towards wide, the Holy Spirit jerks on that leash a little bit. And then... What keeps us tethered to him is our will. Surrendered will. That's it. If we don't surrender our will, we, he isn't keeping us out of the path that leads to destruction. The leash on us, walking in the Spirit, is our choice to walk with him or not. I mean, it's, it, it seems weird, but if you've got a, a trained dog and you're walking and a squirrel you know, runs across a thing and the dog wants to go get the squirrel... And, and you say, heal. And that dog stops, sits right there and walks with you at your heel. That's what it's like for us. And, and the thing to understand is that the Holy Spirit will never walk us to any place bad. Remember, God is good. His intent for us is good. His entire desire right now is to bring about his glory, bring about his kingdom, save souls, and turn us into the perfect likeness of Jesus. If we walk with the Holy Spirit in lockstep, when he says heal, we're right there. That's what happens. He doesn't walk us into death. He doesn't walk us into tragedy. He never does. So if we think, well, you know, I don't like being you know, on the end of his leash, you don't have to be. But where you go that's different from where Holy Spirit would walk you is where you don't want to go. And, you, you know, you always find out, right? You ever hear your mom and dad, they're like, listen, you know, you make a bad decision, there's consequences. It's not always a spanking. You make your own mess, and then you're stuck in it. That's what it means to be fruitful 
like love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, it's walking with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's speaking faith. He's speaking truth into our minds all the time. You get, you get gummed up because you, you just think, oh, you know, my son just died. And he says, no, no, the father took him. And you all of a sudden, he stirs you to faith and you're like, oh, Lord, thank you so much. I mean, it's hard. I miss Joe, but thank you so much. And you're walking with him. And what do you got? You got peace. The third one, and this is a really big one, is abiding. And this is the one that speaks in John 15, that Jesus speaks to abiding. And and abiding kind of carries all of these things. To abide means to remain or to be connected to or to dwell with, to abide with. To walk in the Spirit is to abide. When Jesus says, abide in me, he's talking about walking in the Spirit. Abiding in the Spirit, abiding in his word, abiding in his instruction, abiding in his command. Not wavering to the left or to the right. Abiding to be with him, to remain in him. 1 John, man, if you want to see about abiding, read 1 John. It's, it's all over 1 John. Chapter 2, verses 3 through, 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him, Jesus, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him, that we are abiding in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So to know him, it says, the one who says I have come to know him is in a saving sense. It's not like I have knowledge of, I'm aware of, there's a God. His evident in his creation This is a person who says, I have a saving knowledge of God. But walks outside of obedience is a liar. They're deceived. They think they have a saving knowledge, but their walk of disobedience demonstrates that they don't have a saving knowledge of God. That he's not inside of them. I'm telling you, read 1 John. You'll see it all through there about the one who continuously practices sin doesn't have God, does not belong to God. So to, 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 to know him in context is in a saving sense. And, and it says here that uh, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. That's not you recognizing how much God loves you. That's you having perfected your love for God in obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And that's what John is saying here. He's like, if you walk in obedience, then your love for God has been perfected. First John 2 24, as for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So the word of God that brought us to the saving knowledge of God, if we keep that word, what's that word? That by faith we trust him as the full payment of our sin debt to God. And and by confession, by the position of our will, we offer our lives to him as Lord, If that word of consciousness, that word abides in us, then we continue to abide in the Lord. But if we've walked away from that, then we don't abide in the Lord anymore. That's why we hold fast our confession. That's what that song is talking about. The book, or the song, (laughs) the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is talking about holding fast to our confession. Finally, John 15, 4 through 6. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, 
he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So there's two aspects of abiding. One is explicit, and one is implicit. The explicit one is you obey his commands, and you abide in him. The one that's implicit is the, is the one where you abide in him in a more personal way. You abide in him when you read the word of God. When you're reading your Bible, you're abiding in Christ. He's in there. It, I mean, that's a weird way to put it, but he's the word become flesh. That's the word. It's, it's a reflection of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father. If you will take time to read the Bible, you will be abiding in Jesus and he in you. When you spend time and pray, you're abiding. When you, not, I'm not talking about, you know, thank you for this meal. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm driving in the car because it's the only time I got to pray. I'm talking about when you pray. When you get alone to know your Lord and to know your Heavenly Father and, and you seek him, and you ask him to come and minister to your heart and minister to your thoughts and, and, to, and to transform you by renewing your mind so that you might prove, test and approve what is the will of God. You're abiding. And when you abide, I've used this analogy before, when you abide in the way of reading your Bible because you want to know him, because you want to know his word, you want to understand his word, you want his word to change you, you want his word to develop your relationship with him. When you abide in that way, when you abide in prayer, in worship, in pondering, in thinking about God, asking him to come and influence your thoughts, you're like the cucumber that goes in the pickle sauce. The more you abide in the pickle sauce, I mean, I don't know what it is, but I never made a pickle, but I ate a lot of pickles. But if you put the stuff, the pickle down in the stuff and you take it right out, like you go to church on Sunday, and then you don't go, you know, Jesus isn't part of your life until Sunday. Till about Tuesday, if somebody licks your cheek, they might taste a little pickle sauce on you, but you really aren't pickle. You're just a wet cucumber, right? But if you sat down in that stuff a long time, it starts to get in past the skin of the pick cucumber. It gets into the white part. Now the seeds are getting some on there. And then something might happen, and two weeks later, somebody takes a bite out of you, and guess what they taste? Pickle. Jesus, because of abiding, because you went and you stayed in there. If you just go for a little dip and get out and go for a little dip and get out and go for a little dip and get out, you might feel a little bit like Jesus because you're wet on the outside, but you haven't been pickled. You haven't been transformed. And when the test comes, you find that out. It's a guy named Sinclair Ferguson. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Sinclair Ferguson. If you've heard of um, R.C. Sproul, he's kind of in that, circle with R.C. Sproul, uh, reformed theologian. I think he's a church pastor in Scotland someplace. I've, I've heard him speak a number of times on, on uh, YouTube. He made this statement. In a nutshell, abiding in Christ means allowing his... Um, in a nutshell, abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. In other words, our relationship to Christ is intimately connected to what we do with our Bibles. And to that I say Amen. So, before we go home today, we looked at the scriptures that speak to, really, in some sense, you could argue a fear of God. If you've never studied the fear of the Lord, you should. You should get online if you don't you know, have like an electronic tool or, or a concordance. It would be 
It would be a long study if you did it with paper, but if you have the ability to do it on the Internet or if you've got Bible study tools and you punch in the fear of the Lord and you start to read those scriptures, wisdom comes with the fear of the Lord. Knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. And it's more than just, you know, people, they want us to have this, they, they want to present Jesus in such a way that everybody will like him. I mean, he's perfectly likable all on his own. The cross makes him perfectly likable. But he's a strong speaker. His message is his message. And, and, and you want to present, people want to present the Father and Lord Jesus, not necessarily the way the scripture, because they're afraid that people won't like him or they won't want him. You've got to present God who he is, and you've got to receive God who he is. And the fear of the Lord is reverence, but it is fear. Was it Jesus who said, don't be afraid of the one who can just kill you, as if being dead isn't bad enough, right? Don't even fear that guy. Be afraid of the one who can kill you and damn you eternally to hell. That's the father he's talking about. It's almost like a fear of the Lord kind of a message. And if we don't have a strong fear of the Lord... You know, Teresa could tell you, you know, the Lord was her daddy. Well, why didn't you drink and smoke and do all that stuff when you were in school? I was scared to death. My dad found out it would be the end of me. And, and it's like, that's the way it is with the Lord. You're either with him or you ain't. And if you ain't, there ain't no... <laughs> Pardon my Argentine grammar. I was educated in Dearborn. It's probably the, their fault. The point is, you've got to read the scriptures. You've got to read the Gospels, and you've got to see what Jesus is saying, and you've got to ask him to make sure you get it so that we'll walk the way we need to walk because we belong to him, so that we'll be fruitful in our lives. Not because, oh my gosh, if I have no fruit, I'm going to go to hell. No, the issue of fruit is your relationship with Jesus. It's not your doing, it's your being. And, and, and if you're being intimate with Jesus and you're abiding in Jesus, I didn't read the scripture, I don't think, today, I thought I had it in my notes even. Ephesians chapter 5 that says, the fruit of light. You were once darkness, but now you're light. So don't, it starts off with don't be deceived by the way. So don't be drawn back into the ways of darkness for the fruit of the light, the fruit of light, not like the light reflecting off of you, but the light that you are is in all goodness and all righteousness and all truth trying to understand what's pleasing to the Lord. See, without a relationship with the Lord, beyond just, you know, I prayed a prayer and and I get some word on Sunday, that fruitfulness isn't likely to be there. And if it's not there, then where is it that he says, if, if the light in you is dark, how dark is it, right? The light has to be coming out. It's the eminence of the heart from which the mouth speaks. So the point of this whole thing is, if there's any twitch, if there's any shaking inside of any of us, that's a good thing because it's, it's, it's telling us that, that we need to realign ourselves with the truth as it's written, not the truth as it's portrayed. It's the truth as it's written because when we stand before the Lord, we may even stand, even everything we did might get burned up and none of it passes through the fire even though we might still go to heaven. But don't we want to be the one who brings huge treasures into heaven because we were honoring and serving and blessing the Lord? Heaven forbid the one that walked in deception and and they get to be the Lord, Lord guy. Jesus doesn't say you didn't do the right things or this. He said, I just don't know you. I don't know who you are. That's the point of these messages is for the gut check, is is for something that will stir us to get into the word. Now, maybe most of you are. I just don't know. 
But that's the string. That's what I think caused the Lord to make me just to be a blubber and mess up here after the Francis Chan video, is that there are, there are some of us, maybe many of us, who are walking the la-la-la path, thinking that we're walking in the Spirit and walking with the Lord, but if there's no fruitfulness, we may not be ready when the time comes. Okay. I've been kicking that horse and he's not moving. I imagine we're done. Can we just pray together just a minute or two? Ask the Lord. Remember the, the word about the stupor? You know, if, if, this isn't, if this isn't meaningful to us, then either we're right where we need to be with the Lord or we may be in that stupor that's deceived a little bit. So, Father, I just ask now in the last couple minutes that we're together that if any of us need to confess to you that we've been less than, that we've operated from a fortress or a a stronghold in our minds that would be different than your truth, Lord, we thank you for showing us the truth. And we ask for a spirit of repentance. Your word says, um, repent and be zealous to one of the churches in the book of Revelation, that we would, Lord, individually and then collectively, corporately, as a, as a church part of your body, Lord, that we would repent and be zealous for you, that we would be about your business from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to sleep, that we would be conscious of you, that we would be sowing into relationship with you, that we would read the scriptures, that we would ask you to teach us the scriptures, that you would transform us by renewing our minds, that we would be intimate with you in prayer so that when you stir us, we will know it, that we won't walk right past your stirring, Lord, that by the... By the purpose of our will we will tether ourselves to holy spirit step by step through the rest of this life here on this planet convict us lord when we need convicting conviction shake us as hard as you need to shake us so that we don't wander ourselves around being deceived help us lord to grow in your love help us to demonstrate our love for you through obedience and help us to be truly your church on the street that it's important every minute of every day that we be light to this world, that we be salt, not tasteless, flavorless salt that would wreck a manure pile, but salty salt that goes in and seasons and flavors and preserves this world until they say yes.